1: This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome back to the Talent Development Hot Seat Podcast. If you haven't heard my voice before, I am Stephanie Hutchinson, Andy's right-hand woman, and I'm going to be taking over some of these introductions for the next couple weeks. Today on the podcast, we have Dan Cockerell, and this interview is coming from the Talent Development Virtual Summit, where Dan talked all about creating a magic culture, and we are now sharing it on this podcast. Dan is the former vice president and head of Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom, and following his 26-year career at Disney, he now writes and speaks about culture. He even has a bestseller, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Lessons from a Disney Leadership Journey. Dan shares with us all about his career at Disney and what that was like, as well as some of the challenges that prevent organizations from creating a great culture. He also dives into the importance of rewarding tough decisions and why not everyone will fit into every culture. Now, before we dive into this interview with Dan, I have to say, Andy and I, when we first started working together, were planning for the second annual Talent Development Think Tank conference to actually happen This week and unfortunately due to COVID obviously that conference is not going to happen However, we do have the talent development think tank community that you can join at any time Enrollment is still open and we are accepting new members weekly into the community We haven't been able to go to conferences And so this is a really great opportunity for you to come together network with other talent development professionals and Get advice and support on any challenges that you may be facing. We actually have a networking session coming up on Wednesday, and then the whole month of February is full of guest speakers coming in to talk to our community members. So if you are not yet in the community and you have been thinking about it, now is a fantastic time to join. You can do so by going to tdtt.us, that will be in the show notes. And you can go to tdtt.us and join us. Now, here is Andy's interview with Dan.
0: Creating a great culture usually involves a little magic. It also requires strong leadership and a few other important ingredients. If you're looking for inspiration to create a magical culture in your organization, then get your notepad ready because this session is for you. Hi, I'm Andy Storch, your Summit host, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our legend, our next legendary speaker. Dan Cockerell is the former vice president and head of Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom, which had 12,000 cast members in Orlando. Following a 26-year career at Disney, Dan now writes and speaks about culture and leadership globally. Dan's new book, How the Culture in Your Kingdom, Lessons from a Disney Leadership Journey, is an instant bestseller and I'm excited to have Dan here today to share those lessons with us. Thanks for being here, Dan.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Andy. That's—I uh, got to replay that introduction for my wife. I love the word "legendary." She won't believe it.
0: Legendary. I'll be happy to tell her about it, uh, especially when we get together sometime in Orlando before mm-hmm. you leave. Uh, and I know you are coming to us from uh, Starbucks in Colorado. I got to love—you uh, know—the access that we now have in this virtual world to be able to work and present from. Almost anywhere. Um, before we get into some of these components of culture, um, let's just start with a little bit of your Disney career and how you ended up, uh, you know, leading uh, the culture and and everything at, at Magic Kingdom.
2: Yeah, it was uh, unplanned. I'll tell you that, like most careers are. I was a political science major at Boston University. I had no plan, but I, you know, played sports, so I really loved leadership and I loved influencing people and. Uh, relationships, and structure. So I actually uh, waited tables in Ocean City, Maryland after my freshman year in college. And my sophomore year, I went on the Walt Disney World college program. And uh, when when Disney was at full go, there was about 12,000 college students working there. So great program, got some excellent experience working there for a summer. Then I went back to school for two years. When I graduated, I uh, decided that Disney seemed like a great place to be, the structure, the service orientation. So I went back down and interviewed, and I told them I had a political science degree, and they told me I was qualified to park cars at Epcot. So I said thank you, and I took the job. And um, I did that for six months, and then I had the opportunity. To actually, I had a bigger plan than that because I'd gotten a, a work visa through school to work in Europe, and uh, I was able to be a management trainee at Disneyland Paris so after six months at Epcot I went over to France this was about three months before the park opened there in 1992 and of course they put me in the parking lot because I was now an expert in parking so I opened the parking lot in April of 92 and I was supposed to stay for a year and a half and there was a subplot where my girlfriend at the time was uh Uh, from France, and we started uh, dating, and then we moved in together, and then we got married in April 93. We had an eight-week engagement, so I could stay in France to get my green card, and we stayed there for five years, and I had five different jobs there, and then we moved back to Florida in 97, and I spent the next 23 years at Walt Disney World uh, working in um, uh, parks uh, hotels. I uh, finished my last nine years there as a vice president of uh, Epcot Disney's Hollywood Studios and Magic Kingdom. So 19 different jobs over time in 26 years and I'm a huge compo- um, supporter of uh, diverse experiences. I think it just makes life more interesting, it keeps you on your toes, it keeps you moving forward with change. And uh, it gives you just great, great backgrounds so when you get to those bigger jobs. You're you're ready for them, and you've done a lot of things along the way. Uh, and then a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I had talked for a year, and um, left Disney, which was the scariest thing I've ever done, and started our own company. And we've been uh, uh, consulting and keynotes and workshops, and just wrote the book. Uh, so we have a lot of things going, and we've been doing as like people like to say a lot of pivoting uh, with this COVID thing. You know that was like everything else I think Disney once said one of his quotes was um, there's nothing better every once in a while to get a kick in the teeth I think we've all gotten that (laughs) over the past six months and you either got to step up and adjust or sit on your couch and wait for it to end and it's a choice and uh, we we chose to move forward and just figure out how to do more things online and and figure out how to kind of get through this until things get halfway back to normal
0: Yeah, I'm doing the same, and and so many people tuning in are doing the exact same thing, looking for ways to pivot or have been pivoting, Uh, and that's kind of the the theme for this that I came up with, which is no going back. You know, a lot of people are sitting on we're sitting on the sidelines, waiting for things to get back to normal, and it's not going to happen. Like we have entered the future of work. This is the way things are going. And I was going to ask you, uh, you know, having gone into this next phase of your career as a an author and speaker, and you probably plan on doing a lot of speaking, and I know a lot of people who are following this, I've thought about doing this, that down the line as well. Uh, I'm sure that's changed a lot under COVID as well because there are not, you know, corporate conferences to speak at anymore.
2: Well, exactly. I mean, we, we were in the same boat. I think people say, you know, people are getting furloughed and it's hard. And, you know, Valerie and I, we... Work closely together on our business and we saw you know, six months of stuff just disappear. I mean, we, a big, a big reason we did this was for some of the freedom to be able to work from anywhere and travel. And we were doing work in uh, Peru with a, a train company and Croatia with a hotel company. And we were set to go to Australia this fall. And all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. And it was, it's, it's, it's rough. And, but at the same time, we said, okay, well, there's things worse than, you know, we have a house. We still have, you know, we had some decent savings. And so I I always, I'm a silver lining kind of guy. And there's always a lot of upside and positives. And you, like I said, you can focus on the downside, but it's not going to change what happened. And, uh, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of growth mindset, that whole concept of mindset. And just, you take what you have and you look for the next opportunity and you just start saying yes to people. And first thing I did under quarantine, I sent a note out to my community and said, hey, we're going to do free mastermind sessions Um, And I said, is anyone interested? And, you know, 250 people responded, yes. So, you know, on a rotating basis, uh, every two weeks, we had a group on um, Monday through Friday daily, and we had people from South America and Australia and Europe and the United States just talking about how people were dealing with it and getting through it. I learned a ton along the way and I made a bunch of new contacts while I was sitting at home. That's the, the, the beauty of this technology. So there's always a way to move forward. No matter how much, you know, your cheese gets moved, there's always something you can be doing to prepare for better times and be in a better position.
0: Yeah. 100%. I mean, like I said, many of us have been pivoting. I had trips planned to Scotland and Munich and all kinds of different places as well. And, and all that got put on hold and we, we pivoted and, and made changes that we're all doing. So I love that mindset and, and the silver linings, Let's get back to culture. When it comes to creating a great culture, before we get into some of the best practices, what are some of the challenges that always seem to get in the way? Or what are the biggest challenges to creating a great culture?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think a few things with building culture, uh, culture is a long-term investment. You know, uh, you, When you're creating culture, you're, you're building a sustainable model and success um, organization for long-term growth, long-term success. And when you try to um, short-circuit that process because you need to make your quarterly earnings, or you have a crisis where you want a shortcut, that has a big impact. That has a big impact on the credibility. And you know every single day, every the way we thought about it at Disney is, every behavior, every decision you make, sort of builds your culture or takes away from your culture. Um, If you have a moment where you're not being as candid with someone, that's a negative in in the Disney culture that, you know, it's a takeaway. And every time you have the courage to speak up and speak with someone, you're adding to that cultural base and you're setting the expectation. So trying to get many, many people to make all those right behavioral decisions every day, even when they don't feel good, is hard. And you have to reward that. You have to reward The the tough decisions, because if that's going to be part of your culture, if you want to, you know, if your culture is all about courage, a big piece of its courage and candor, you have to make sure that you reinforce that every day. But that's not a natural human thing. A lot of people, candor is scary, and and stepping up is scary. I think the other thing um, with culture is, you know, not everyone should, will fit into every culture. I think a lot of people wonder, well, I want to work at Disney, or I want to work at you know Google or wherever you want to be, and just because you enjoy maybe the brand doesn't mean you're a good fit to be working there. And I've seen um, that's where I think that's where most of the problems happen when we hire people is we just hired the wrong person, and not necessarily just on an individual level. They just their values and how they like to work and what gets them motivated just doesn't uh, jibe with the culture that they're in. Uh, an example is at Disney. If you love working independently you shouldn't be at Disney because no one works independently at Disney. Everything's connected. We, we, um, we collaborate, like you wouldn't believe almost to a fault. You know, it's, it, it creates bureaucracy, but also it creates great decision-making um, at Disney. If you don't li- like working on teams, you definitely shouldn't be working there because it's, you will fail like in a lot of companies. And I, I think the last big thing I've seen uh, people at Disney where um, if you want to you know, get a lot of individual recognition and you thrive on individual performance uh, that is not Disney's not a good place to be because we're all about team effort and team performance and helping each other um, so that's another thing about culture is you got to make sure you connect with it and, and and a lot of people really get it's a big moment for them when they get to Disney after a long time, and they realize that wow, I like visiting here, but I didn't realize that maybe I wouldn't like working here because mm. it just doesn't fit my my passion, my skill set, my values and uh that's a It's a big wake up call for people.
0: Yeah, so thinking about the match of values or just how you prefer to work, because there are probably many organizations that promote autonomy and where you know people thrive in that. And conversely, uh, if you love working in a collaborative environment, you might get there and be miserable because people expect you to figure things out on your own and that's not your style. You'd be better off in a more collaborative environment like Disney. So there's some big challenges there. And the other thing I was going to ask you is, you know, what mistakes do you think? think most organizations make or leaders make when it comes to um, creating a great culture or trying to?
2: Yeah. One of um I think the big thing I've seen a lot of times, you know, in leadership you want to create, um, um, you want, you want to guarantee the results, right? You want to, you want to make sure you're going to get the right outcomes. And a lot of times what people try to do is engineer that outcome through compliance versus commitment. And so I I can put rules in place, I can put standard operating guidelines in place, I can try to think of every scenario that might come up and give you the answer as maybe a frontline employee so that you're always gonna make the right decision. The reality is the world is way too complex today. Things, every situation is different. And so what you have to do is, what I've found is create a framework for people to work within, and then let them be themselves. Let them make decisions. Empower them to make decisions. Give them the right criteria to make those decisions. You can't just rely on common sense because, as we know, it's not all that common you know, along a lot of the way. But if you give them the right criteria, then you can allow them to make and in, in, in the moment make those decisions. And I think what we, we make a mistake for a lot of times is we want culture to be sort of 100% risk risk free and make sure everyone does the exact right thing every single time. And what you do when that happens is you take away from the authenticity, uh, the, the genuine interactions, uh, that emotional connection that so many businesses who are successful you know, are able to generate with their customers. And um, so it's, it's art and science. And uh, as a leader, you know, one of the hardest things, I think, is to be able to take a step back and just let people go. You know, we always like to have our hands on everything. And I learned at Disney, it's just, it was too big and too fast. And I, you know, I didn't have all the experiences. I didn't have the expertise and all the things that were happening there. So I really had to let go and let people start making decisions. And a lot of cultures try to, you know, control that. And that's not the way, that's not the way it works.
0: Yeah. The, one of the biggest mistakes I've studied leadership a ton. And, you know, one of the biggest mistakes managers, executive leaders make is, letting their ego get in the way and, and trying to control everything, trying to be a micromanager. And it, it almost never works out. And it, it definitely can be a, a detractor uh, to the culture and a diminisher of the people. So you, I want to get into some of the best practices or some of the contributors that uh, make a great culture. You've covered a couple already. You mentioned authenticity and emotional connection. What else is important for creating a great culture of engagement?
2: Yeah, so in this case, I, I, I've had a framework I've worked with for, for decades when I think about um, building culture, and there's really four components to it. And uh, like my wife likes to say, these concepts, concepts are simple but not easy, and I think that's what most of the things in life that are important. They're really simple to understand, really hard to execute upon. Um, so the, the four things I like to, I've always focused on in, in my role – in any job I've been in over the years. The first one is uh, talent, getting the right people. Uh, We talked about that earlier, you know, this idea of uh, the right fit talent. Am I getting you in a, and first of all, should you be working this company based on your personal values and the company's values? And is there a connection there? And then am I getting you into the right kind of job where you're going to thrive? And so, and, and I think we've, uh, I learned at Disney over the years that that really is by far the most important thing before you do anything else to build culture or lead or get success and performance. If you get the right people on your team, 80 percent's done, maybe 90 percent's done. And uh, there's a great book, um, a lady uh, that Valor and I work with named Carol um, Quinn, and she wrote a great book called Motivation-Based Interviewing. And she talks about this. How do, you get the, how do you make sure you get the right people in your organization, the right jobs? And she talks about three things, skills, passion, and attitude. And uh, what, what, what I've learned over time is, at least for Disney, skills are not really important when we're hiring people. Because... There's a good chance that you never worked at Pirates of the Caribbean before, but we can teach you how to do that. And we can teach you how to do most of the jobs there. Obviously, if you're an architect or you have a technical skill, you need to get a degree for that. But most of the jobs are in service and we will train you. Passion is, do you want to work here for the right reasons? You know, a lot of people have this dream of working at Disney and it's kind of like almost too Pollyanna and they don't realize how hard it's going to be. And so you got to understand that. But by far, the most important thing I've found hiring people is attitude. If you hire people with the right attitude, life is good. Uh, These are the people that overcome obstacles. They overcome barriers. They have this, they're internally motivated. No matter how much you pay them or don't pay them, motivate them or not motivate them, they're always going to be up and performing, doing their best and giving their all because that's the way they're wired. And so if you can hire those kind of people, you'll have incredible success. The problem is not everyone's wired that way, but if you can find those kind of people or at least have more people in your organization, that's a a huge motivator. The next three things are uh, after you get the right people on your team, The next three are, you know, pretty, pretty logical. First relationships. If you want to build a culture, people need to feel that they are, they have a, they're valued and they're, they, when they come in every day, they're contributing and relationships is a huge piece to that. Uh, So not only when I was working at Disney, would I make sure I had a great relationship with my direct reports. And uh, when I say great relationship, it doesn't mean we always agreed and we had very difficult conversations sometimes, but the fact that I wanted to know who they were on a personal basis. When I, when I first started working with teams, I'd always take them out for lunch for a couple of hours individually. And I would just say, look, we, we're going to talk a little bit about work, but I really want to focus on who you are, your background, what you've done before Disney. No one ever talks about that. You know, how tell me about your experience. Well, I joined Disney this year. I'm like, what well, you were born somewhere, right? <laughs> you, maybe you work somewhere else. So getting to know people personally and, you know, you know, do you have kids and how old are they and what do you do on weekends? And the more you can understand about people on a personal level, then you can start leading and managing them individually and really knowing what motivates them. And that's uh, when people can go to work and feel comfortable and trust the people they're working with. uh, That just, it just, it's such a huge thing. Um, I think that's a, a big problem today in cultures is people are so nervous and afraid Cause you see it. I mean, you know, the economy is it's up, everyone has a job and it goes down and all everyone's furloughed and everyone knows that that could happen from one moment to another. So just cause you have a great relationship doesn't mean those things might not happen, but you have to make sure that, you know, when people come in, they know that they're getting the right story. They're getting transparency from you. You're being genuine. You're telling them the bad news up front, and not spinning things. So I I focused a lot on relationships, not just my direct reports, but I tried to make relationships with the frontline employees. You know, I'd show up in the cafeteria. I would be out in the park walking around. Um, Any employee at the parks when I was working there could call me directly. i had a confidential voicemail number. So I wanted to make sure everyone clearly knew how important they were. And I wasn't trying to be the hero or just say like, I can make all the decisions here because it's a big park. And I said, look, your leaders do a great job, but sometimes there's gonna be bureaucratic things in the way, or sometimes you're not gonna know who to call. If you don't know who to call, call me, and I will follow up with you if you leave your name and number. Um, because if you don't call me, you're probably gonna maybe call Channel 9 News or your, your congressman. Or, so I'd love to be upfront on those issues to make sure I was the first one that they felt comfortable speaking with. And obviously when you're the vice president of a park, there's a lot of barriers in the way because people are, you know, intimidated. Um, the third thing is clarity, just setting clear expectations for performance. Uh, one of the stories in my book, I think it was in my book. I always forget about what we put in there and what I talk about, but um, We have three kids, and our youngest. I remember one time when he went out. We should have known by then after raising two kids, but we told him to be home at a reasonable hour. When you tell a 16-year-old to be home at a reasonable hour, that's just not smart. You know, you should tell them be home at 11 p.m. So he came home at like two in the morning because for him that was reasonable, and we really couldn't even. He said, "You said reasonable," and we said, "Okay, that's our fault." So, you know, that's what we do often in business. We don't give people clear. Clear directions. We don't create clarity for them, and it just makes it harder for them to perform. You know, when you get that email that says ASAP, why would someone put that? What does that mean? You know, uh, 5 p.m. on Friday. I know what that means. I don't know what ASAP means. Uh, so, clarity of expectations extremely important, and I could talk about that for hours. And then the last thing is, um, you know, the feedback loop. Either giving feedback to people regularly, or reward and recognizing performance to reinforce the right behaviors. Uh, and I think that's another big area that I think companies have uh, an opportunity to do better on both counts. Uh, feedback. Uh, a lot of people like, well, I don't want to upset them. They're such a high performer. I don't want to demotivate them. I don't, you know, I'm going to feel uncomfortable doing it. What if they cry? What if they quit? What if they you know, think I don't like them? But over time I learned very clearly, if you don't give feedback to people, not only are you not doing your job, but you're doing them a disservice because you're not making them better. And if, if anyone's ever played sports, the coach never held back on their, his or her feedback. And, you know, that's what made you better. You should stand like this. Here's how you catch that ball. Here's where you're supposed to be standing, It should be the same in business. But somehow we just get all um, get in our own way when we want to tell people. And usually it's because we haven't built a relationship with them. It's hard to give people feedback when you don't have a good relationship. When you have a good relationship, you can tell them anything and be wrong and it'll still be OK. They'll get over it and they'll have that conversation with you. And then the last piece is reward and recognition. How do you reinforce those behaviors? When someone does something that you want them to do, you got to make a big deal out of it. And every positive uh, letter we got at Magic Kingdom from a guest, we made sure that cast member got that letter. We made sure we put a note on it. We made sure that we made a big deal out of it because we want them to do that again. And we want other people to know how much we value that great service. So you hire the right people. You make sure you spend time with them and build relationships with them. You set clear expectations of what you want them to be doing. And then when they do it right, you reward them. And when they do it wrong, you give them feedback on how to get better. Once again, very simple and not easy to execute upon because it's, uh, there's a lot of other variables that come into our workplace. Things move quickly, complexity, uh, but those are the basics.
0: Yeah. And like you said, simple, but not easy to execute. Um, What you're talking about are like core tenets of great leadership. And it's obvious that you embodied that. And that's why you were very successful and you were available to people. My question is on that execution point, how do you get, you've got 12,000 people there, obviously many, many layers of management. How do you get other managers to act that way as well? Uh, You know, what type of training is involved? What type of Influences is involved to get other managers to be great leaders like that and create that culture.
2: Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things that I could say, but I'll tell you there, I, it, I probably would have when I was working at Disney, but I've, in hindsight, I've looked at it. There's only one thing that really gets people to think that way. And that's role modeling. When you start doing it, everyone else starts doing it. When I showed up in my operation regularly and was walking around, get people get on their toes because when the, you know the authority figure shows up people um are more focused and i know a lot of people say well yeah when the big head honcho shows up people will scramble and it doesn't have to be that way but when my boss showed up i was more attentive and i paid more attention and that can be a once again that can be a negative or a positive depending on what kind of leader you are if you're going out just to find bad stuff and you know kind of knock everyone on the head because things aren't perfect. That's not the right approach. But when you go out, you should be pointing out the things that are working well, the, par- the areas of improvement. And uh, what I found was the more I did that, the more my general managers were out there. Cause they're like, well, Dan's out there. I better get out there. I don't want to be, him be calling me in my office when he's in my restaurant to tell me what's going on. And then when the GM showed up more then the, the senior leaders start to get out there more and that you just create a culture where people understand that that is a behavior that's valued. And it's a behavior that's important. And um, I always told my general managers and I, I prepped them for this. I said, look, I'm going to be out a lot. I'm going to be talking with your managers, uh, but you, you all just got to get comfortable with that. Cause I, I, there's no hierarchy for me when it comes to communication. And if I can find out what's going on the operation, I'm here to help make you better. Because if you do your job better, I, I'm doing my job better. We're in this together. This is not me just independently holding you accountable. We're all working on the same team. So don't get your, don't get your nose added, bent out of shape if I call you and tell you something that you know, is not going well. There's always going to be something to improve upon and I'm going to you know, push you and you're going to push your team. And that's how we get better. And I had a, you know, a really, um, one of my, my most talented general managers. Um, she, uh, she came up with when she was running merchandise, she came up with her own little campaign. And because uh, I always said, you know, I had things in the cafeteria. If, if you have something on your mind, go to your leader. If you don't feel comfortable, call me, here's my number. And I had my picture on it. And so I, you know, I kind of did the marketing and advertising of how to get in touch with me. So she said, she went to her team. She goes, guys, I got a better campaign. It's called Call Deb, not Dan. <laughs> so she told her team, if you want to call Dan, you call me first, and I'll take care of your issue. And if I can't take care of it, you call Dan. But you know, that was a classic one with role modeling. And of course, her team started saying, you know, call me not Deb, because I'm going to take care of stuff. So uh, don't underestimate the power of role modeling. People are watching as a leader, people are watching you all the time. They're seeing where you spend your time. They're seeing where, what's important to you, what your hot buttons are, what questions you ask. And every time you're out there, you are role modeling what's important. And so your verbal and nonverbal uh, cues are, are giving people signals of where they should be you know, uh, focusing their attentions.
0: Yeah, so important. Uh, and I can see that being uh, just working amazingly in um, a business like what you were running in, in Magic Kingdom. Um, for a lot of people watching and listening, uh, working in corporate businesses that are now operating almost completely remotely, you know, under this pandemic. Uh, How has that shifted or how would you adapt some of your teachings on culture and leadership for this virtual world?
2: Yeah, there's a I think there's a lot a few things here. I think one is the nature of your business was disrupted just by randomly by the uh, what a pandemic would do to it. You know, we've seen some businesses just really get Hit hard, really hard, you know theme parks disney um, you can 't make movies you can 't make TV shows you can 't run theme parks you can 't run cruises that 's been tough, but then if you 're in uh, the technology industry you 're thriving you know I wish I' bought stock and zoom because everyone has to connect um, amazon um, you know're they 're killing it because people want to be at home, so I think some of it was just pure luck, and the culture that has to be adjusted right now and how people need to adjust to it is either okay, we got to figure out how to keep morale up for our people because they're not working, or we got to keep up morale because our people are overworked. You know, it's kind of two different scenarios. So I think the main thing I've seen is, um, and once again, it comes down to, I think one big concept is you have to be much more purposeful and intentional. Now, um, you're not going to run into people in the hallway or at the water cooler or while you're getting a cup of coffee. Um, as a leader, you're not going to come to the office and take a walk around and check in with everyone, pop your head in their office. You know, so now you just have to recreate those processes and be intentional about doing it, but with technology. And I've been working with companies and giving them tips on this and saying, hey, the old, uh, you know, uh, duck your head in, that can be a text message now. You can tell people, you know what, I'm on Zoom from uh, nine to noon every day. I'm just going to be on Zoom. Here's my link. If you want to pop in, Uh, just go ahead and and hit the button and come in and I'll be in my office working. And so you create your, uh, you create your office and people can pop their head in. Now it's gonna It takes some time to get people used to that. You know, people aren't used to this technology of trying to reproduce real, real life situations, but I think it's doable. Um, Creating a chat group when you get up in the morning, Hey guys, uh, you know, quote unquote, just got into the office. Uh, I'm here. Uh, Uh, I know we have a meeting this afternoon on this topic and uh, Joe, if you could please bring this report, that meeting, I want to make sure that's part of this conversation. Everyone gets the message and everyone's, you know, okay, they hear it. And so now you have constant communication throughout the day. Um, If your people are at lunch, you know, they're out of the office. So now, okay, hey, I'm, this is Dan. I'm going to be at lunch for 45 minutes. Um, I'll, you know, I'm available for text, but uh, I'll be back. So now your boss and the team knows that you're at launch. Um, so once again, I think a lot of these can be reproduced um, technically. Um, something else that uh, I saw this in real life and I see it on, on technology is a lot of uh, leaders, they start meetings just go. You get in the room and the agenda starts and there's no small talk, there's no how's everyone doing, there's no how has everyone's day been. So I think once again, reproducing these moments where you know what, I'm gonna have a Zoom call with my team um, either weekly or on a regular basis. And just, we're going to have a call. This just has nothing to do with business. It's how, how are you doing at home? How are you handling the kids? How, you, you know, what's going on? Because people, I've read something recently, seven out of 10 people during this uh, pandemic have, have had anxiety at one point or another. And so it's, you know, but we all put on a happy face. We smile and We say everything's okay, but it's stressful. Like if I had to have uh, two little kids at home while I'm trying to work, uh, it would not be good. And I know a lot of people are having to figure that out. And it is stressful. I've, I've had more meetings with people with their kids sitting on their lap, you know, participating in the meeting. So I think you gotta be more flexible and more understanding in these, in these times right now.
0: Absolutely, it requires so much um, empathy, uh, more intentional communication, as you mentioned, uh, some compassion and uh, just really being a lot more available and having those check-ins because you can't necessarily do it uh, walking the grounds. We've, we've covered a lot of ground in this interview. Uh, When it comes to engaging and developing people, particularly in virtual times, anything else you would add before we wrap things up?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great uh, closer. Um, During these times, it's easy just to focus on the critical behaviors and the critical things of a business. This is such a huge opportunity right now to really develop people and give them extra things to think about how they're organizing their life, uh, how they're thinking about their careers, maybe, you know, um, going and finding some webinars to to tell them that this may help on the skill set. Uh, people during these tough times, they remember when times get better, what their bosses, what their leaders, what their organizations were doing or not doing for them. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to result in, um, you know, their retention in the future. And everything, you know, once again, everything's going to come back and we are going to be in another uh, growing economy again and things are going to be great and we're going to be looking for people because there's not going to be enough people because it's going to, the unemployment's going to be so low. But those times are ahead again. It's happened for 100 years. You steadily, it's an it's upward curve with these drop-offs and we're in a, a drop-off right now. So leaders are really tested right now. Uh, I, I like to call it grace under pressure. Can you still be a great leader in these hard times and an inspirational leader and bring energy and really influence people to get results? And if you do that, when times get good, they're going to be totally committed to you. And so don't take that opportunity right now to, as a leader, not only to think about your own well-being, but really focus on, and you said the word empathy, it's such an important thing. How do I put myself in the shoes of others and see how it feels from their point of view and people who are empathetic right now are going to build up a lot of goodwill. So when things get better, um, people will be much more committed.
0: 100%. Dan, this has been great. We've covered a lot of ground in this interview. I'm just looking back at my notes. We We uh, talked about your career, uh, the challenges that prevent organizations from creating a great culture. Uh, Not everyone is going to fit into different cultures. We talked about looking at people's personal values and what energizes them, the mistakes that leaders make when it comes to culture, the mistakes of trying to engineer an outcome through compliance instead of commitment. Um, We talked about how culture is not 100% risk-free. You've got to have authenticity and emotional connection and autonomy for people to make decisions on their own. Um, the important factors to creating a great culture we talked about um, the importance of skills passion and out, uh, attitude when hiring and uh, promoting people um, the things you need to create a good, great culture like uh, the people you surround yourself with clarity and setting clear expectations providing regular feedback the importance of rewarding and recognition um, how to get a managers aligned to your culture by setting a great example uh, how to adapt culture and leadership principles for the virtual world Uh, And talked about how leaders have to be more intentional in this virtual world, in the creating the culture, and really planning for the long term by being a great leader now to set that example, build that trust, those relationships, so that we can all be more successful in the future. Uh, So much great value there, Dan. Anything else you'd add or um, where can people go find you if they want to uh, follow along with some of the things you're doing?
2: Yeah, so our website is cockrellconsulting.com. Uh, and everything we have is there. I, I send out, a, I, I gather great articles. I send out uh, every Friday morning. If you want to sign up, I'll send an article for free. Uh, my podcast is Come Rain or Shine. We just finished 100 episodes a few weeks ago. Uh, i not been doing that for a couple of years. And uh, all my contact information is on the website, cockerelconsulting.com.
0: Awesome. And of course, we got the book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom, which I know you can get on Amazon.